Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM Chicago. I'm your host, Tariq el and we are having some te technical difficulties, which we are trying to work through. So if you endured those few moments of silence, thank you so much for not turning, for not leaving, and for having a little patience with us. So as you know, those who are loyal listeners, you know that Radio Islam is a live call-in talk radio program. And we're on every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And we reach the world by streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. Now, for you new listeners, you can log on to www.radioslam.com. And also, you can check out SoundCloud uh, at Radio Islam. And you can listen to uh, the former, well, I, I, I should say you, should, you can listen to today's broadcast tomorrow. But you can go to RadioIslam.com where you can uh, check out guest bios, programming, previous shows, articles, and a whole lot more. Uh, and it, the website is still up even as we are in the process of making uh, updates and adjustments and adding new content. Uh, our website is still up, so please check it out. So if you'd like to chime in, as I said, we are live. Uh, we've got our phones right here. We've got a great discussion uh, uh, waiting for you, which we'll be getting into in, in just a few minutes. Feel free to give us a call at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. And make sure that you're following us on social media. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, we're both at the same handle. That's at Radio Islam USA. And Facebook, very simple, Radio Islam. Uh, we are using that platform to share uh, pictures, information, things that are going on uh, in the community, things that we're a part of. And it's also a space for us to just to communicate with you uh, in that social media space. Everybody's not going to call in, but you can go to our page, leave us a comment, make a suggestion. Um, and, and we're always happy to, to hear from you to make that connection. So. I wanted to share something really quickly, uh, and that is, and I'm going to take a, a long time with this. I just I thought it was really, uh, it was it was poignant. It was uh, relative, uh, and I think it's important. A tweet that Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, sent out, which has been getting a lot of attention, and the tweet that he put out, uh, it says that all Americans are granted rights to peaceful protest. And then he quoted, this is a quote, for, um, uh, well, the continuation of it, those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. So that was a quote from former President uh, John, uh, John Kennedy. So I'm going to read it to you again. It says, all Americans are granted rights to peaceful protest. Those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. And that is, you know, I think in a nutshell, that is what we we look to preserve in a democratic society the ability for us to be able to show our dissent uh, while still maintaining our, our loyalty, while still maintaining our, um, our patriotism, because our dissent in upholding the values that we purport to 
um, we purport to hold um, when they're not, when it's not being uh, met, when it's not being uh, uh, expressed, that is in itself an act of patriotism. So I'm going to make this last comment on this, and then we're going to, I'm going to get into introducing our in-studio guests. And that is, and drop us a line on our Facebook page. Let us know what you think. Do you think that it is, do you find it interesting now that we have owners, NFL owners that are now standing in solidarity with their players after the remarks by President Trump, you know, where he says to get them off the, um, off the field, you know, get those SOBs off the field, you know, run them out. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't be playing in the league. Do you think that, do you find it interesting? Do you think that it dilutes the message? Do you think it dilutes the uh, effectiveness or the real intent behind why this, this all began, you know, with Colin Kaepernick kneeling as a, um, to bring awareness to the, uh, to the loss of life, to police brutality, to, to black and brown folks being killed uh, by police uh, and there being no, really looking like there's no, no end in sight to it. Do you think that now that we have the owners standing with the, uh, with the football players, that now it has changed the narrative, it has changed the discussion, so now it's a, it is a movement now that is about free speech as opposed to the initial uh, concern that was brought up by Colin Kaepernick. So something, uh, I'm just I'm throwing it out to you. Uh, leave us a comment on our Facebook page. Let us know what you think. Do you think that the conversation is being changed? You know, are we still on the same page? Does the... Uh, does a protest have the same spirit now that the NFL owners have joined in? So, so that's my that's my my piece on that. Um, and actually, you know what? Before I'll tell you this much: this dynamic individual, I'm going to get, I'm going to go ahead and read his bio to you. Just give you a little bit of information about him. And after that, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back and get into this conversation. So, in studio tonight, excuse me, in studio tonight is Omar Yamini. And he is the founder of Determined to be Upright. Now, uh, so at the age of 20, after being raised by parents who did their job the right way, Omar invited harmful influences into his life. And as a result, he went to prison for 15 years under the theory of accountability. The demoralizing experience affected his spirit and his soul so deeply, it compelled him to write his book, What's Wrong With You? what you, your children, and our students need to know about my 15-year imprisonment from age 20 to 35 in 2012. He wrote it so that our young people truly understand the mental and emotional devastation of prison and what will happen to any of us if we lose our dignity and decency and invite harmful influences into our lives. His book and program are being utilized by schools nationwide. With the support of his family, Omar founded the Proper Perception LLC in the fall of 2012. So we are going to uh, get into it right after this break. You're listening to Radio Islam, WCEV 1450, streaming at www.wcev1450. And check uh, and the number. I'm going to give you your number because you, you will want to call in. Uh, once again, our number, 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178. We're going to take a short break. This is Radio Islam. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, 
He's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. Yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. Or maybe he's teething. Maybe it's just a phase. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Hey, Mom. Why is the sky blue? Why don't animals talk? Why do dogs have wet noses? Why is an 11 pronounced 21? Kids ask a lot of questions. Why do I have a belly button? But you don't have to know every answer. Why is the ocean salty? Because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Why are there 50 states? There are thousands of children in foster care who don't need every question answered. Why is pizza round? They just need you. For more information on how you can adopt, go to AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. Okay, here goes. I know more about cooking dinner for a party of 12 than I do about packing a lunch for a 12-year-old. I know kids like things like PB&J, pigs in a blanket. Oh, and fish sticks. They do love fish sticks. Fillets I get, but sticks? What part of the fish does the stick come from? I know I can read a cookbook that'll tell me how to make a red wine reduction, but where are the cookbooks that can teach me how to cut the crusts off bologna sandwiches? Oh, maybe we can compromise on mac and cheese. Can you make that with brie? But everybody likes brie, right? You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to push your food around their plate. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM Chicago, and I am your host, Tariq Alameen. Could not wait to get back to this conversation. I just shared with you the bio of Omar Yamini, uh, and we're just going to get right into it. So, assalamu alaikum. Alhamdulillah. All praises due to God. Thank you so much for taking the time to be in with us. Um, I thank you for the invitation. This is this is a wonderful opportunity. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So uh, we touched on in your bio, you know, you said within the title of your book, uh, what you, your children, our, our, our young people need to know about, you know, my 15 years, mm-hmm. right? So tell us a little bit, you know, because I want to, we want to paint a picture for the audience to, to clue them in from, from the beginning of this journey, um, of your journey to where you are right now. So how did this whole, you said 15 years, so how did this all come about? 15 years, uh, Brother Tyreek, 15 years. Um, my story is uh, is an American story. Uh, so many African-American families uh, go through what, what I put my family through. Um, and just to, to be fair, uh, I'm very accountable. I'm a, an accountable person. So some of the things that I, I know that I'm responsible for, while others uh, are systematic. Uh, raised in a two-parent household, South Side Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, with parents who were in, in a faith-based uh, foundation home. Um, 
my parents valued education and I have five siblings. Uh, it's three boys, three girls. Mm-hmm. Of the six of us, there are uh, four college graduates, mm-hmm. uh, Air Force Sergeant, and my youngest sister, Sadika, uh, is, the highlight of our lives is, is, is a special needs child. Uh, and that's how my parents raised us, you know. That, but going through school, high school, Thornridge High School, parents moved from um, that that neighborhood uh, around uh, Eden Green, our girl gardens in the, in the hundreds, in, in the far hundreds. Mm-hmm. We call it the wild hundreds. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so we moved to Dalton, where I went to school, and no disciplinary problems. Uh, went to high school all four years, you know, and. Uh, Good friends, parents knew all our buddies. My, my like, it was a time in high school where like my house was the hangout. Mm-hmm. So moms and pops knew everybody. Right. Um, and but what I did is, I did what so many young people do. Uh, I got lazy, especially senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. Now I did not graduate high school needing a half English credit. And when I when I talk to young people, I express that not five credits, not six credits, not a young person who had all not a juvenile, you know, issues, what they call the juvenile delinquent. None of that. Just somebody who senior year is over with second semester. I'm chilling. You know, you know, nobody can tell me I'm I'm 17, 18 years old. It's over with. Mm -hmm. And I did not graduate, brother, needing that half English credit. Wow. And I tried the wrong teacher. <laughs> you hear me? Uh, th- uh, you thought that they were they were going to let you, you, uh, you slide know how you, by? Yes. Okay. I tried the wrong one. Yeah. And he was retiring, too. Mm-hmm. And he took me with him. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you, he took me with him. So when all my real friends, everybody I was raised with, all my parents, uh, the people my parents, everybody went off to job court, uh, college, uh, played ball. You know, our, our friends would. Them boys was bad, you know, tier one, division one football players and basketball players. They went off to their schools, and there I am floating in that dangerous place, that no man's land that so many of our young, especially here in Chicago, and my heart go out to them, mm-hmm. that dangerous no man's land where young people who have not are floating in, who have not prepared for their futures. That was me. Right. Now, because I'm an accountable person, I know I did it. But the other – Let me ask you this. Were you accountable – then at that time yes at that age 17 18 19 years old you still uh under your parents care mm-hmm. but in my home my mom my, my mother had just given birth to my younger sister sadika special needs now sadika um demanded special needs children demand attention mm-hmm. and because we were the kind of children who parents provided for us and did what we needed mm-hmm. we were a little bit independent you know left on our, our own devices uh at least me and my brother and my older sister was left a little bit to uh uh because we weren't we weren't bad kids we weren't no no not troubled kids right. no no I'm, i i don't want to i don't want to take you out of the out of the timeline I'm, I'm just asking at that point in your life did you look at yourself oh. as accountable <laughs> that's what i'm saying maybe it's, it's hard to, to figure out where i where i was at, 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 at no I'm gonna say no. I'm, I'm gonna say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, what I didn't do, and 
what we have more attention to now is our schools and counselors. Um, for a while, I thought it was me until I got involved more in education uh, and found out that it should have never happened. There's no way a school system lets a kid who is this close to graduating not come up with some kind of program, some kind of paper, some kind of assignment to make sure that this this group of people who have, you know, we've watched them this whole all these four years. They're not problem children, and they just got a little lazy here at the end. We got to find out a way to help them, uh, to usher them through. Um, that's what at that time, schools were not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as I think back on it. I am one of those uh, poster children for this school-to-prison pipeline uh, that people just get pulled into because sometimes uh, uh, we drop the ball and, and not paying. We have a tendency, schools have a tendency to focus on the more disruptive children and not the ones who are at this gate and need a push. Oh, I needed a push. If I had got that push, it, you know, mm-hmm. I would have graduated. The squeaky wheel gets yes. the oil. Yes, exactly. Right. So, so you're out in, in no man's land. Yeah. And summertime. Summertime shy. Not, you know, not really prepared for what comes next. So, so what does happen next? What happens is the, the same thing that happens with so many young people who floating like that. You find you some new friends. Mm-hmm. You, your real, my, my crew, my guys, my friends went off to school. They went off to college. They did, did them. So here I am needing looking for a brand new team. And I found one. Mm-hmm. And they were all in the streets, south side of Chicago. And uh, real quick, one day I was with a guy who got into an argument with somebody else. And he shot and killed him. I got charged with that murder. Uh, it's called Theory of Accountability. In fact, it is the, the reason for the work that I do. I went to prison for a charge. It's called first degree murder under the theory of accountability. I call it you you shouldn't have been with them law. That's that law mm. that when they grab a group of people for the crime of what one person did and it and it targets African American and, and Latinos in particular, especially, especially during that time in the early mid nineteen nineties where mass incarceration had hit the peak right. because of the Clinton crime bill. Hmm. So you find yourself in this new environment, uh, an environment that, as you say, you know, you came up in a two-parent household, mm-hmm. um, good family. You know, everybody's off at college, in no man's land. Now you're in prison. What, what is going through your mind? Man, <laughs> When I say shock, uh, it's not. It's more like, and, and I explain this in my book. I use a term. I call it cattle prodding. It's mm-hmm. like holding somebody down and just shooting them with fifty million volts. Um, I couldn't process it because it was new to me, um, especially going into the county jail because I was twenty years old mm-hmm. and Division Ten Cook County Jail here in Chicago. I went to a school wing, and the scene on the school wing pretty much set the tone because we I was looking at young men my age, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, who looked like the walking dead. 
zombies because the the life had been siphoned out of their bodies. Mm. That's what they look like. They look like somebody had took taken away their spirit because these guys were charged and facing some serious time. For like he them talking about these kids at this time had murders and double murders and and and, and triple homicides, armed armed violence with I knew a guy who was charged with killing the dog and everybody in the house at 18 years old. So, wow. And we were in maximum security division. And just looking at the guys that didn't have any hope, you saw no hope nowhere in the bottom. I'm talking about, you ever see a, a, a population of people moving around like they're shuffling their feet? When I say walking dead like the movies, a lot of the guys, young kids, will, uh, had, that, had that, that look about themselves. And it was depressing from the start. And so I looked around like, oh, Lord, have mercy. It was cigarette smoke. Guys was just, <laughs> when a kid, 17, 18, 19, 20, brother, uh, lose hope like that, and the entire uh, area, environment, is a hopeless one, you fall right in. Mm. Especially being 20 years old right. with no worldly experience. You're looking at this place like, Lord, have mercy. What what have I, What, what is, this? is this? This is something right out. Uh, one thing about prison and jail, you can't, you're not prepared for it. Okay, you can see as much TV, read as many books, hear as much music, and listen to stories people tell you as much as they can, as often as they will. You are not prepared for that because the emotional, the mental and emotional range, uh, you have nothing to compare it to. Let me ask this, because you mentioned the stories that are told about prison, mm -hmm. and in particular in, in neighborhoods like, you know, where, where I come from or uh, for, where you, well, you you grew up in a nicer in a nicer spot, mm -hmm. yes. So. The, well, as far as as, as the, you know what the, the neighborhood started getting bad. You know the gardens it wasn't so bad to us. You know it was eating green, I go gardens, and at that time Dalton, uh, Dalton was still jumping. You know. Well, when I look at when I look at places like uh, because I I grew up in Inglewood, okay, and uh, Auburn Gresham, and Inglewood is is one of those places now where it is a there's a spotlight on it. With, with with regard to the violence, gun violence in particular, um, but my my question is, because prison in 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 our communities is often glorified, uh, it is looked at as a dysfunctional as as a badge of honor, you know, where guys talk about you know I went in and you know now I'm back out. Um, do you did you see or did you feel like um, being there, like, do you feel like you have been sold a bill of goods, or, or did you get that? Did you get that same type of uh, that glorification of, of prison? Yeah, comes from what we call hubcap cases, somebody who in and out, men who men and women who have spent a, we call it did a bit. Yeah, you've been there seven, eight, seven years or better. Mm -hmm. we, they not glorifying prison. Mm -hmm. The in and no, out. No, when you first came in, did you feel like no? What am I? You know why? What did I because get into? I went to I went to the county jail in the mid nineties mm -hmm. at a time in this city's history when the judges was bouncing guys. I'm saying burying you concrete, opening up just four hundred years, five hundred, seven hundred years. I knew a guy got eight hundred and fifty years. Okay? So it so we were walking around that place looking at each other like 
Like, man? So, listen, I understand. I understand the laughter because you're laughing at the absurdity of it all. I get it. That's what. Wow. It is it is an abnormal world. It places, bro, I, I once had a cellmate come back. This was my man. Now, we, we cellmates, we sellies, as we say, uh, for about four months at the time. And, you know, you're in a bathroom-sized living space. And you, you get close, right? Because you, you're living in a, a 10 by 10 or something. Mm-hmm. And y'all become friends, and you get to knowing each other's family. And then one day he comes in, 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 the, in the cell shuffling his feet, and I'm looking at him, and he said he got 150 years. So I'm like, damn. This is my Sally, right? This is the guy that I'm hanging out with every day. That's what was going on with us at that time in the county jail and, and, and where those judges were uh, given what we call Star Trek time. That's what mm. we call We will see you in the future. <laughs> Bruh, I'm trying to tell you, that place there, it was... That, that is absolutely When I say people were walking around with no hope, that's how we felt. So guys was taking plea deals, running the court, topping out. If, if Okay, so um, Radio Slam family, if you are just tuning in, our guest uh, tonight is Omar Yamini. He is the founder of The Proper Perception, uh, as well as Determined to Be Upright. He is the author of What's Wrong With You, uh, what you, your children, and our students need to know about my 15-year imprisonment from age 20 to 35. He's doing some amazing work, uh, and right now we're just talking about his path that got him to the work that he's doing right now. So uh, at this point, we're talking about uh, his initial imprisonment and um, the time that he had in, uh, in Cook County. So, so this the idea of the uh, absurdity, the, the ridiculous uh, ranges of time that they're giving people. Uh, you talk about people that are walking around, shuffling their feet, looking, you know, Kids uh, like too, they bro. Have, it was yeah, bad. Young people with, young, with no yes. hope. So tell us what was the what was the what was the turning point? Uh, I don't want to jump over too much, but I'll, I'll tell you all this before you answer that question. Um, this is a book. Any of our listeners, if you have read um, the autobiography of Malcolm X, if you have read that book and you have benefited from it and and scores of, of, of people, I mean, generations have benefited from that book. It's been a transformative book. Uh, for any any people who are working, particularly with uh, with our young people, with the juveniles, um, this is a this is a must read. It is a must read, um, and I, I can't overstate that. So, without skipping over too much, because I know we only have another you know about another twenty five minutes um, uh, to talk right now, but what was your turning point? If, there, if there's nothing else, like, really crucial that you feel like you need to mention now in between that point where, you know, where things started to change for you. The turning point for me, I, clear as day, I went to segregation. I was in uh, Mount Sterling. What it, it's Western. Western Illinois now is what, the, uh, is what it's called. And I was in segregation mm-hmm. for some foolishness. I mean, that's another story. <laughs> but it was, in, it was in segregation, in seg as we call it, that I just start reflecting on my life. And I said, no, I can't do this no more. I don't want no parts of this. I don't want no parts of other people's madness. I, I, I didn't want uh, to be burdened 
by the burdens of other people, right? Uh, other inmates, other prisoners. And, and I said, you know what? This is it for me. I have to make this change. And I remember I was praying. I was on my knees so long that, that, I, that they got numb. And when I tried to stand, the pain just shot through my whole body. So I knew I was down there a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the turning point for me. And then I, I just uh, decided to take up as many uh, college courses as was available. And that's when I, that's when I began. It began with, with me praying and then getting up and doing something about it. Uh, and, and, and the first step for me was, was, uh, was taking college courses. Okay. So that was my. <clears throat> so what would, um, so that was your, so right now, okay, I want to just jump forward a little bit before mm-hmm. we go back. Right now, you're currently um, pursuing a graduate degree. Yes. I'm at USC, uh, a grad school uh, in the youth development uh, department. And it's, a, it's, a, it's been the godsend. We've only been to school a little bit over a month or so. And it has already given me what I have been missing uh, to make this program, uh, this curriculum, the absolute best that it can be because I am convinced on how good it is. And to be honest with you, I haven't seen anything that compares anywhere mm-hmm. uh, with, with what it is that, that we have here. Okay. So uh, Radio Slime family, forgive me. I know we are skipping over quite a bit, but uh, that's why I say it's imperative for you to for you to get the book. We'll try to put a link up on, the, uh, on our Facebook page. The program that you have. Yes. Okay. So you began with ed- you you began uh, pursuing education uh, courses, college courses, while you were still in prison. Um, came out and, and and have continued. What is the basis of your program now? What is the purpose of your program? I know I introduced the idea um, that you are that you have a very innovative way of disrupting the the, the school to prison pipeline. Mm-hmm. Tell our listeners a little bit about uh, how that's structured. Well, just to tell you the bottom line, the goal, the mission, yeah. and that is to warn and educate our young people, to make them completely cognizant, to make them conscious of where inviting harmful influences into your life can and will lead you. And the goal is to keep as many of our young people from ever stepping foot in the prison cell as humanly possible. Uh, but what the program is in itself, it's uh, comprehending consequences. Mm-hmm. And it is a uh, an SEL, social emotional learning program with uh, academic instruction, an academic social emotional uh, learning program uh, that uses evidence-based methods to help our young people internalize the type of behaviors that were sent into prison. Uh, we chose, be honest with you, when I was creating the program and reaching out to educators, I wanted to tap into our young people's empathy. I wanted them to be mindful of, of what other people are going through, but also manage their own emotions. Because prison, and I kid you not, and your listeners will will, will confirm, is the majority of people are in prison are therefore uh, impulsive reactions, just losing it on the spot. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids, a lot of young men who I was in prison with, sitting around holding their head like, man, I wish I just didn't snap. I wish I didn't go off. Uh, if we can teach our young people 
how to manage their emotions, how to express themselves uh, without expressing it violently, then we can bring those numbers down. The best place to do that is in our schools because they hold our children uh, eight hours a day. Mm. And when you have uh, school systems, and that's why I love the social emotional learning, the SEL uh, platform uh, that many places around the country are starting to adopt. It is a platform that along with academic instruction is including uh, the social emotional learning or teaching young kids, our children, to not only manage their emotions, but how to express them and to see the world through the eyes of others. Okay. So, <clears throat> so that's the basis. That's the reason for uh, the type of program we have, uh, the, the, the methodology of, 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 of that approach. Okay. Now, you do something else that is also innovative that I don't think that I've seen done anywhere else. And that is you give a visual yes. for, um, would, would you go ahead and, and just paint the picture for our listeners on that? Yes, well, what I do is uh, I build a prison cell. I build a 10 by 10 prison cell with the sink, the cot, the toilet. Uh, and I want our young people to see the type of conditions that produce a subhuman culture that's one that's released onto the family, into the communities. Why people say, okay, what's wrong with you? Well, what's wrong with this person is you have kept them in a bathroom-sized living space with another human being. And when I say a bathroom-sized living space, we're talking 10 by 10s and 10 by 8s and 7 by 8s. People have, people don't keep their dogs or their animals in spaces that small. So now you have two human beings who are uh, forced to live with one another, who some in some cases could care less if they live or die. Give you an example. Uh, in prison, in that little bathroom-sized living space, I had to live with some of the most despicable types of people. I had to live with, I had I once had to live with a, a, a child molester who got excited watching children's programs on TV. Now, mm -hmm. in a bathroom-sized living space, just watching this man get up, turn his TV on, with his chips and his cookies, doing his thing, and, and turn on Sesame Street. That kind of anger, that builds up. Mm. Now, you can't put your hands on him because the moment you do that, he's going to be replaced with somebody else. People, the penitentiaries in the state of Illinois, I feel with people with mental illness. I've had men who would get up. I had a guy who used to brush his teeth. He would, he would uh, what we call cuff or take or sneak, uh, the, dis, the disinfect. And he would have a bottle of stuff. He would wash his skin with the, the sanitizer with the, the industrial stuff for the floors. Uh, he would brush his teeth with it, and then he would just stand out the bars, stand at the bars and just stare out into space. That's prison. You're not with your friends no more. When, when you're in the penitentiary, and, and, and it, unfortunately for so many young men, it, the, the, the realization does not hit them until they downstate in the actual prison that you're not in the city limits no more. You're not with your friends. You're not with the guys you know on your block. You downstate with people who have been charged with, 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 with killing their whole families and burning people's, okay, the, some yeah. of the, the heinous things, yeah. okay? And they don't look like you. They, you can't relate to them because they it's so far gone. It's not, you know, some of the guys, the local gangs with people you have a, a common bond with. Nope, that's over with. 
Now, you can deal with that in the county jail because you're still in Chicago. But once you get on that bus and go down state, you're dealing with every person in this state who has been convicted of any kind of felony or heinous crime. And some of them, many of them, are stone cold out their mind. You mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you mentioned the, uh, the, the reality of mental illness mm -hmm. in the prison system. Uh, and there's been a lot of talk about this because of uh, funding cuts for uh, mental, um, you know, for, for mental health mm -hmm. uh, in communities uh, on a state level. And that now there are, you know, that a lot of people are going to prison, in particular Cook County Jail, to get, basically that's where they're getting their, um, they're getting their, their medicine, they're getting, you know, if it's, it's counseling or whatever, you know what I mean? It's become, uh, it's become a storage house uh, in a way for people who have mental illness. And it's also a connection to, to the homeless, where we have a lot of homeless that are, are mentally, uh, mentally ill. Do you feel like that's one of the bigger things that, that has been, um, that has not been addressed, that kind of goes under the radar, or that prison contributes to the formation of mental illness it's or both. the exacerbation of it's, it? It's interesting because it's both. People with mental illness influence prison culture. Mm. Okay, a couple years ago, uh, when I was doing my undergrad, I had uh, we had to do a report, and at that time, this was just four years ago, Cook County, Cook County Jail here in Chicago, mm. was the nation's largest mental health facility. Yeah, if the jail, now we're talking Cook County Jail. Now just just to with with just a person making an observation, uh, without any without any data, right? No no experiment. If your if this place if the jail is the largest mental health facility in the nation, and this jail in this county boasts a 95% conviction rate, you're convicting 95% of the people that have mental illness in the jail. Where are they going? They're going to the penitentiaries. So now that now these people are in prisons and they are the cellmates of those who are just trying to find some peace. You cannot escape mental illness in the penitentiary. On the other half, the design of the prison itself contributes to mental illness. It's depressing. It's 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 a it's a dungeon concept that hasn't changed much over time. You know, the king say throw them in the dungeon, that's where you're going. The penitentiaries are like that, especially some of the uh the maximum security places. Uh it, it they're sensory deprivation chambers is what I call yeah. them. Drab colors, no windows or high windows, limited light, external light from inside. No hugs. We don't. We don't touch each other. We get, we ball up our fists, and we give each other some dap. And we. So, uh, I, real quick, I remember my mother came to see me, in prison once, and I hugged her. It's mom's, right? Felt good. But then I had to let her go, and back up, because I was not used to people touching me. Mm. When I went into the visiting room, the smells, the colors, attacked my senses. I was used to the drab, blue. And gray, but the purples and the oranges and the and, and the greens, it attacked my senses. People's colognes and perfumes had my throat swelling up, my tongue swelling. Uh, because I came into life after being in the sensory deprivation chamber uh, for so long. So I watch men crack and just say, you know, and lose people who have been sane for so long and all of a sudden just just lost it at the end 
uh, prison contributed uh, uh, to that. And that, and I believe, uh, from my experience, that the the construct, the environment itself, the physical environment itself, contributes to mental illness. So when you show these young people, when you put up this ten by ten cell, you know that that has everything that they would, or that a prisoner uh, would have, you know, and, and they see the small space that a person might be might be living in for the rest of their life. What are, what are their responses? How have they responded to seeing this um, with their own eyes? It, it differs. Uh, it differs. Some are a little more um, callous than others. Uh, but and, and that's just an honest answer, honest yeah. answer. Uh, but for the most part, the young people want no parts of it because of the way it's explained. I don't do a scared straight. Everybody has the situation with our young people is so dire that people are trying anything they can to, to keep our kids out of prison. And some of them do that whole scared. I'm going to spook you into this thing. That's not my approach. Okay. Um, I, I, this is an explanation. Okay, this is what it. Here's the dimensions. Here's this is where you're gonna live. Uh, you, your, your toilet is also in this room with you. So every time you, you, your cellar, your cellmate use the bathroom, you're gonna smell his waste every single time. There is not gonna be one time when you're not gonna hear his waste. Or you, uh, you, you, a human being can't adjust to that. You don't get used to some things. You don't get used to smelling people's waste, people's filth. Or you know they, the whole urine in the toilet, all it just bothers you to the, your spirit after so long. Like Lord have mercy, mm-hmm. that is a new revelation to them. To to be two feet away from somebody at all times is a revelation. Uh, to have to live with people who you despise is a revelation. Uh, so, what my approach is a warning. I am warning you. If you do it. This is what's waiting for you. So through the warning, I educate our young people because what I need them to know is this is what will happen to any one of us, regardless of race, creed, religion. If you lose your dignity and your decency and invite these harmful influences into your life, there's a place for you. And it's only getting worse. We just had our attorney general earlier this year uh, uh, tell his <laughs> tell his his law enforcement agencies to charge them even with the petty crimes give the fullest the fullest force of the law if somebody has a charge you charge them no more letting nobody so that means plea deals and 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 but for those of for those of us who understand in the street and how law enforcement work we heard something else we heard cases on them that's right. what i heard right i'll be honest with you right I heard charge them with any and everything you possibly can. That scared me to death when I heard that in the spring. And I said, okay, I need to hurry up and and, and figure out a way to reach our and do better and reach more uh, of our young people as possible, as humanly possible. Put this in more of our uh, our centers of education, our spaces where our our children uh, are gathered and cared for. On, on an everyday basis. So, so let me ask this question. Um, you mentioned uh, the, this idea of not inviting harmful influences, you know, into your life, you know, speaking to our youth. Does that differ 
or does the youth do the do the does the um, the variety in their upbringing and their environments? You know, some are in some might be in two parent households, some might be in single parent households, some are being raised by grandparents or aunts or. But my point is, with the the variance, you know, in the environments that they are all in, does that come into does that come into play as far as that conversation? Because some of these youth are maybe receiving, they're receiving maybe more mm -hmm. and as far as negativity is concerned. And I'm not attributing that to a single parent household or to being raised by a, a grandmother, or whatever. That's, that's not what, uh, what I'm intimating. What I'm simply saying is that there's a, there's a variance as far as environments are concerned. Mm -hmm. So how does that, how does that play into, uh, you know, into this? Well, I'm the prime example of that. Mm. You see what I mean? I'm a prime example. Two parents, people doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? Family, mother, father, thinking they, they got they got control of this thing, right? right? Kids going to college, right? That was the trajectory in my home. Right. And I'm in prison for murder for 15 years. So I expressed to them, don't nobody care where you're from. You know who your parents are. Your father's the, the pastor or the imam, mm -hmm. you know? No, don't nobody care. You get involved in some foolishness, and guess what's going to happen? Um, so it, it, it doesn't matter. And, and I'm very mindful to uh, explain that, to express it uh, from, that, from that perspective. This thing, if you do it, bruh, mm -hmm. this is what they got for you. So uh, the message transcends class. It transcends. When I say class, it transcends. Class. I knew some brothers in there whose parents had a couple dollars, and they, you know, you, you okay? Well, I'm glad your your family wealthy, but do these 20 years. So, right. <laughs> so it it transcends everything, and and the the message and the way I express and explain and warn and educate. There, there there's no excuses. We 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 take it all from them. This is this thing is about dignity and decency. And uh, you don't know which way or how something is going to end up if you run in with some guys who are, and a lot of these kids are good kids. They just have no guidance, and they're young. And so they're out here on the street, and the streets is, the streets is undefeated. I have not met a person who whooped the street yet. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've seen some guys get out there and then leave before it get ugly. Right. Well, the streets is undefeated. So um, that is the approach with that. So what I'm hearing is a um, is an effort to to bring about a heightened awareness of accountability uh, and agency that you might think uh, in an ideal setting that these youth would have maybe a few extra years to kind of mill about and come into some awareness later on in life mm -hmm. where you're saying that, no, you don't have time to wait. We didn't get time you to wait. be on it right now. Because of what we up against and because of what our young people are up against and because some of our, uh, our communities, um, they, uh, as you said in the beginning, they uh, make this thing some kind of badge of honor. Yes. And, and it's not the kid's fault. You know, this is what's going on. This is what they see, what they hear on a daily basis. That is the importance of the school. So 
uh, Radio Salon family, if you are just tuning in, uh, if you've been listening for a few minutes, you just got in with us, we are talking with Omar Yamini. He is the founder of The Proper Perception, author of What's Wrong With You, uh, what you, your children, and our students need to know about my 15-year imprisonment from age 20 to 35. Uh, we've been going over some of the uh, formative experiences that he's had uh, and the work that he's engaged in now. Uh, attempting to disrupt the, the, the school to prison pipeline. And my next question is going to be for you, uh, for you is, so you've got a, a teaching and a resource guide uh, that is connected. We mentioned uh, within your bio that your program is being used by uh, school districts around the nation uh, right now. Or is it the book? Oh, both. 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 Okay. So... The program, the, the program itself. Some some places use variations of it. They may use the book more than the resource guide, and also uh, my speaking engagement. They may call me in to do uh, the presentation uh, and and follow up with with the with the uh, the book and the workbook that you have there. Uh, which schools are you working with? Uh, you know, we're broadcasting in Chicago. Of course, we're streaming. Uh, we're streaming live, so we have listeners. You know. Um, really around the globe mm -hmm. uh, but uh, just speaking locally what is the uh, what's the process moving forward so we just have to continue to to, to put the message forward uh, because it's needed this is not this is something that's needed here yes this is needed because our children here in Chicago are, are under siege and many of them they're good like as I said they're good kids they just need somebody to explain this and warn them and, and get dig inside them from the inside out kind of thing uh, so that they truly understand uh, what will happen if you invite these these dangerous these harmful influences into your life that that is the mission to keep our young people out of prison uh, but to do so through education but also a warning I'm warning I'm gonna be flat out this is a warning First, before this is before this program is anything, it is a warning, like May Day, red flag, uh, lights flashing. Uh, so that that is that was intentional though. Right. That wasn't that was the intent uh, for our our parents and our educators to to really uh, understand uh, the magnitude, mm -hmm. how serious this is. Uh, if, if we don't get a hold of our young people. So let me just for a second just kind of segue into a little bit lighter side of this work um, of life. Uh, so since you since you have um, come out of prison and you have written this book, um, this, this phenomenal book, uh, began this program, you know, traveling around the, uh, around the country, uh, you've also found time to uh, begin your own family. Yes. So, uh, has that what has that experience been like for you? Has it? Because uh, you talked about the uh, coming into the uh, into the visiting room mm -hmm. and how your senses were kind of overwhelmed with with life, so to speak. So, has that also been kind of an, uh, an overwhelming um, uh, experience it for is, you? It is. It is as overwhelming as it gets, but it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. and show you how our creator works. I went from uh, one extreme mm -hmm. to the other. So in prison, it's all male-dominated environment. 
yeah. an all uneducated male dominated environment. Let's be clear about that. Yeah. Um, and so when I came home, uh, got married, mm -hmm. uh, my wife's Carrie, um, we have three daughters, Imani, Amina, and Salima. Yeah. Now, on top of that, so yeah, I got work. Mm -hmm. I have three sisters right here in town. Yeah. One of them has three children. Matter of fact, the youngest on her birthday is today. All Happy right. birthday, Asha. Happy birthday. She just turned one. All right. She has three children. My sister has one. And I have a, uh, so I came home to all women. So when we go out to family, because my brothers don't live here. Right. So when we go out to family events, it's me, my three girls, my four nieces, my mother, and my three sisters. It is 11 women and me sitting at that table. So that was my education on this side. It was more of a, it was a caretaker's thing. Mm -hmm. I came out of that dismal environment and was put right back into the care of women to nurse me back to my human sensitivities. Mm, alhamdulillah, praise be to God. That's, that, that, that is a, that's, that's a lot of work. <laughs> I, definitely. I couldn't, you can't plan that. Definitely, definitely. Look, it has been a, a real pleasure to have you here. And uh, I really hope that we can have you back um, just to- Oh, I'm here, man. All you gotta do is yeah. um, But you're doing some phenomenal work. Um, I urge all of our listeners, uh, as I said, and this is not hyperbole. If you got benefit out of the autobiography of Malcolm X, um, you will find a similar thread uh, with, within this book, uh, what's wrong with you? Uh, that I mean, it carries great meaning, especially with the the need and the situation of our our young people today. Uh, and this goes beyond. I think, as as I said, it goes beyond race, um, ethnicity, all of these 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 classifiers. Uh, before we close out, do you have? Uh, is there a way that our listeners can keep up with you? Uh, social media, uh, email, anything like that. Uh, yes, they can on on Facebook. You can follow follow me with uh, "Determined to Be Upright" on, on Facebook, uh, and my website is thepropperperception.com, uh, and just check us out and see the work that that we are doing to help our young people in in an area that we that we need. Uh, I guess maybe the most help in some cases. In some cases, you know, we, sometimes I've learned a long time ago that, that you take your help to people who need it the most and you give it to them first. Okay. Thank you so much. <clears throat> All right, before we go, you should know Radio Islam is hiring interns. Uh, whether you have experience or not, uh, we've got an opportunity. So uh, send us an email at producer at radioislam.com. We're right in the heart of downtown Chicago. You can get unparalleled hands-on experience. Uh, like I said, right down here. So whether it's social media, producing, database management, send us an email, producer at radioislam.com. You have been listening to Radio Islam. We are a call-in talk show airing every day, 6 to 7 p.m. Uh, on WCEV 1450. If you'd like to find out more about tonight's guests and their work, hop on to soundcloud.com, uh, Radio Islam USA. Tomorrow's, tonight's episode should be up tomorrow. Uh, you can download, play it, share it, leave us a comment on our Facebook page. Let us know what you thought about tonight's um, episode. Uh, executive producer of Radio Islam is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Our engineer at WCEV is Ramon. Thank you, Ramon. And our engineer 
on the boards in studio is the impressive Ibrahim Bey. I'm your producer, your host, Tariq Alamine. Uh, as always, um, the views expressed are those of the host and guests, not of Sound Vision Foundation. And we look forward to seeing you, talking to you tomorrow night at 6. I leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.